Open Science Talk, the podcast about open science. My name is Per Pippinaspos, and today I am joined by Stephanie Weltman and Arjan van Dijk from Brill Publishing. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, uh, Stephanie, and would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thank you so much, Per. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Stephanie Feldman. I am the head of open research at Brill. Um, I come. I've been working in the publishing industry now all, uh, already for a decade, which feels like quite a long time. Um, and also, I think a decade in which open access has really taken a big turn. Um, so that has uh, has been really inspiring to uh, to follow throughout my career. Um, I have uh, I'm a historian by background, so um, working uh, to make humanities publishing more open open access is um, yeah is is a really lucky role to uh, to be in. And how about you, uh, Arian? Who are you? Um, so um, I have joined Braille long ago. I celebrated my 25th anniversary uh, actually a few weeks ago, about two weeks ago. And uh, I am currently the publishing director for the History and Social Sciences and Biology unit at Braille. Uh, and aside from that, I have my own program, which is uh, mainly focusing on early modern studies. So the, the Renaissance, the Reformation, uh, and also Latin American studies. Um, my own background is in uh, German studies, German literature. And um, uh, what I really like about publishing is, of course, making knowledge available to uh, a wide community. Uh, and open access, I think, is something that really uh, has given that a large boost over the years. And um, it's very nice to see that we can make authors happy by generating such a wide uh, readership for them. Excellent. First, uh, to you, Stephanie, could you tell us, uh, or our listeners rather, uh, what is Brill? What are your strong points and, and, and what kind of uh, entity is Brill Publishing? <laughs> well, we have been around for quite a long time. Uh, next week, we are actually ce celebrating our 340th um, birthday. <laughs> um, and um, we uh, originate in the city of Leiden, uh, sort of in tandem, I would say, uh, developed with the University of Leiden. Um, uh, and so traditionally always a strong focus as a publishing business on the humanities, on Asian studies, on Middle Eastern studies. And actually that was also really our specialty because we um, we had special um, uh, typesetters uh, at the time, really the old school typesetters, who were able to um, handle these uh, complex uh, uh, exotic font, uh, fonts and uh, typescripts. Um, and we still have that know-how uh, in-house in today. Um, but of course, you know, 40 years is, is a long time. So we have also developed uh, since then. Um, we have really, yeah, grown our publishing business to to. Um, uh, we had traditionally we focused a lot on books, and they are still um, uh, really a big part of our uh, of our business, um, about 50%. But we also, of course, have a lot of uh, journals. Um, we publish now more than 300 journals, um, still mainly in the humanities and the social sciences. Um, but we also recently acquired a life sciences publisher, uh, so we are we and we also do some biology. Um, and um, yeah, I think for Brill, what is the, what makes it a great company is at the one hand we have these these long running traditions, uh, both our expertise but also journal or book series that go back for decades uh, that we really have developed uh, together with the community, which is really a privilege to, uh, to to be able to do. But at the same time, the field that I work in, uh, yeah, uh, open access, following these developments and trying to translate them to who are fields and uh, what do they mean for our fields? Because, of course, humanities and social sciences are 
yeah, unique fields really with their own publication culture. Uh, and so um, uh, following all these developments and then seeing how to, how do, how can we best translate them to, to these fields is, uh, yeah, I think where we're at now as, as publisher. Yeah, um, I should have said at the outset a small disclaimer. So my relation with Brill is actually some concrete examples that I've I've, uh, I'm also, besides working at the university library, uh, doing support for for open science and other stuff, uh, I also do some research on my own. And I've published with Brill a couple of times, and both times have brought me in contact with Arjan here. Um, maybe we could have a concrete example from the Journal of Jesuit Studies. I mean, Jesuits uh, have been around for, for, for centuries, as has Brill, and now there is a Journal of Jesuit Studies that just turned 10 years. And that's a, has been a success, hasn't it, uh, Arjan? Could you tell something about uh, the Journal of Jesuit Studies? Yes, um, it's a journal I'm really very uh, proud of, and uh, I have to give a lot of credit, actually, to the uh, editor of the journal, Robert Marricks, um, who, um, with whom I launched the journal uh, more than 10, 10 years ago. We started discussing it, of course, and then it was first published in uh, 2013, uh, immediately as a quarterly. Um, the first year, it was uh, a conventional publication, uh, so we sold subscriptions the, the uh, traditional way. And then Robert Merricks moved to Boston College. Um, and Boston College, being a Jesuit school, uh, really believed in um, making um, making research tools available uh, for free, because that, of course, was also the Ignatian uh, teaching that, that um, um, education should be free. Um, so Boston College said, well, why do we not uh, finance the journal uh, so that everybody in the world can um, not only read it for free, but authors publishing in the journal are also not asked to uh, to pay. Uh, so right after the first year, the journal was flipped uh, to, to open access, and it has now been uh, in open access for 10 years because Braille also uh, then converted the first, uh, the first volume to open access. And it really has had a, a very large impact because, uh, as Stephanie earlier said, Braille publishes uh, over 300 journals. Uh, and the Journal of Jesuit Studies is actually the third most downloaded Braille journal, uh, something I think I'm very, very proud of. And um, if it hadn't been an open access, of course, research about the Jesuits is, is still interesting, but I'm sure we would not have been the third most downloaded journal. So it really has meant that anybody in the world with an interest in, in, in Jesuit history uh, can access this journal, um, no matter where they are. So I think it has it's become very inclusive that way. Um, and it has topics that I think are very interesting, uh, ranging from think about Jesuits and, and cartography, uh, Jesuits and gender, Jesuit art, Jesuit libraries, Jesuits and slavery. Um, so it, it really is very broad. And um, Jesuits and slavery, of course, is, is a, a very interesting topic. And um, the journal was actually picked up and also linked to by CNN when they had a topic about Georgetown and slavery. Georgetown is, of course, also a Jesuit school. Um, and so uh, CNN actually linked to our journal, which I'm, again, sure they would not have done if the journal was not available uh, in open access. 
Yeah, and uh, another thing to say about this journal, of course, is the economics behind it. You, you touched upon it. That it was uh, it was Boston first who who uh, who decided to 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 provide the funds for making it uh, open access. Uh, but then you have switched to a more divided model where several institutions uh, combined um, uh, fund it. Uh, it's something that is all, all often called today diamond open access, where, where it is free for publishers, uh, no, sorry, free for authors to publish and also free for readers to read. Um, but of course, there is a cost somewhere and, and this is divided then between different uh, institutions. Could you tell us something about the, the current figures? As a, how much do they have to pay these, these sponsors of the journal? Yes, I'm very happy to. Um, first, maybe a bit of background as to why we changed the model. So when, when Robert Merricks left Boston College, um, uh, the funding was also tied to to the editor being affiliated with uh, with the college, so we all of a sudden found ourselves without uh, funding, and of course that was uh, a bit of a nerve wracking uh, moment. Uh, so we considered our options, uh, and one of course was to put the journal behind the paywall again, um, but of course that was not very attractive. So at some point. Uh, it dawned on me that uh, it would be hard to find um, a single sponsor uh, willing to 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 pay, because the uh, the sum Boston College paid us was um, thirty thousand dollars a year, so a very significant amount. But I thought if we find six uh, sponsors each paying five thousand dollar, we also reach uh, the same amount. So that was our ambition, and we reached out to uh, a number of universities, and we ended up being able to find these six uh, sponsors. Um, and what I really like about it is it also really showcased that the the journal was um, supported by not not just one institution, but by six different ones in various countries. So. We have the uh, the Ibero is one of the sponsors, so that is a university in Mexico. Uh, we have, of course, universities in the United States uh, sponsoring it. Uh, we have a University Lo uh, Loyola Andalusia in, in Spain sponsoring it. Uh, we have the Ada Mickiewicz University in um, Poland sponsoring it. So it really has become a, a globally supported initiative. And the sponsors have all um, signed up for a five-year period. And we did that so that we did not have to worry about finances every um, every single year again. Uh, and we've just now reached the next five year period. So I'm currently trying to uh, to have the, the sponsors renew. Uh, some already did, uh, such as uh, Fairfield University. Um, and yeah, I think this is a model, to my knowledge at least, that is really unique in the humanities uh, and perhaps even beyond the humanities and I think we were very early with it and um, and it's really working out well for us. Yeah I did some uh, homework actually I, I tried to to see how many peer-reviewed articles the Journal of Jesuit Studies publishes per year and I, I did some, some calculations so the last um, couple of years it has been um, uh, in the range of 25 or a little bit more uh, per year of peer-reviewed articles, but then also lots of peer, uh, sorry, uh, book reviews, which is very important in the humanities. So, so, so if we discount the 
the, the, the book reviews and say they are all for free, but we take only the peer-reviewed articles, it would still be around a thousand euros per article. So if this had been something called the gold open access or APC-based model, it would have been a uh, 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 thousand euros per article. That's how I calculated at least. So with figures like this, it sounds like in the humanities, you can actually have a top journal that gets a lot of attraction, but it doesn't have to cost more than a, a thousand per, per article. But if you have had the APC-based model the, that each and every author should pay, how would that have worked out? Would every author have been able to pay, do you think, uh, Arjan? No, I don't think so. Um, and, and that is also what I mean by open access really having made the journal more inclusive because there are, of course, uh, authors who get research funding and there are always uh, research funders like the, the Dutch uh, um, uh, scientific organization who are willing to pay for open access. But at the same time, we all know there are plenty of researchers who, who do not have access to uh, these, these funds and uh, of course, are not uh, eager of, of paying that out of their own pocket because it, it, it of course, it does add up. And I think that is, has really make, made the field more democratic, more level, because everybody in the world uh, can publish in the journal for free, provided, of course, that the journal meets our standards. And we, we do have every article rigorously peer-reviewed, just like any other Braille journal. But if the article is accepted, then there are no costs whatsoever to the uh, to the author. And um, uh, of course, I have other journals in my in my program other than the Journal of Jesuit Studies, which are not um, in diamond open access. And uh, yeah, it would be very nice if, if everybody had funding and could publish in open access because we see how what that does to the readership. But the reality is that um, only those articles are published in open access that that are are written by authors who have access to to funding or are part of a uh, transformative agreement. So I think this has really been very helpful to uh, to, to to authors. Thank you. Should we then turn a little bit to to Stephanie, perhaps for the bigger picture of open access with Brill? I know that. Um, you have uh, many journals, you said more than 300 journals, so if we stick to the journals first and then we can move on to books, which is of course an, an important part, um, more than 50% I guess of, of Brill is actually books. Um, but um, how does this uh, Journal of Jesuit Studies, uh, is that a typical Brill journal or are they, these diamond journals more exceptional uh, so far with Brill? No, I think that uh, Arjan um, really hit the nail on the head when he uh, when he said, yeah, this, this is um, leveling the playing fields. And actually, this is also why we as Braille started with Diamond um, uh, Open Access in the first place. Um, and that grew back in the day, back, back, back in the day um, when Open Access first uh, um, uh, yeah, arrived and when we first implemented the model, we also experimented with APC, Gold Open Access Journals. And we quickly found that copy flow completely dried up. So then we realized that, of course, most of our authors, they don't have, as Arjan just described, they don't have access to this funding um, either because, you know, they, they are the humanities and social sciences. Traditionally, there is not a lot of um, uh, external funding available for four publications. Um, of course, the APC model is really a model that is really based on STM publishing culture, uh, which, and yeah, the humanities is very different. The funding 
Actually, also, I would say that the, 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 the lifetime of an article is very different. In, as, uh, in, in uh, the STEM, you really want to publish your article as quickly as possible, because in the next six months, eh, someone else can publish something new and your research is already uh, dated. Whereas in humanities, I mean, our articles are cited sometimes after 10 years, uh, right? So that is also really a big, big difference. Um, so when we realized uh, that with this, this APC experiment that that did not work, then we quickly moved to this diamond model. Um, and we were lucky to find sponsors, well, like Boston College first, but then this, this, this yeah, crowdsource model, let's say, of uh, universities. Um, but also we have other sponsors as well. So now we have about um, 33 journals, I should say. We actually have three new journals now, um, uh, which are all diamond open access. And I think if we really look at, at our open access journal program, this is really what works best. And we really, uh, we, we only have one or two APC-based model um, journals, which are uh, in biology, which is the only field where there is some funding available. Um, that being said, hey, as you said, we have 300 journals and 33 is uh, just over 10%. So what about the other 90%? Um, of course, this is also an ongoing question for us, uh, the question of scale. And I think that is really keeping everyone busy in, in, in the industry. Um, so for us, I mean, what we are also doing uh, in addition to our uh, diamond program uh, is the uh, um, read and publish deals or the transformative agreements, um, which, and, you know, I will say immediately that they are not an ideal solution. I mean, they give, as Arjen just said, hey, they only give an opportunity for open access to a specific country or a specific university. But, you know, that being said, um, we did figure that for us, if we look at our constituency, this is probably the quickest way for us to really move at scale because the others, we could also try more diamond. Um, but of course, you are relying on, on finding sponsors. Uh, so for us, I think this mix now works quite well. About 25% of all of our uh, journal articles now open access. Um, yeah, and of course, we yeah we hope that uh, that uh, this will increase. So we are really focusing on these disagreements as well to um, to to um, uh, increase that uh, uh, proportion. Yeah, so the the world is moving forward towards open access, but uh, of course, not everything is open access by now. Um, turning then to to books and monographs, uh, in some disciplines, this is not a thing at all. Whereas in the humanities and law and social sciences uh, in general, it's it can be very important to to have monographs and proper books out. And um, a couple of years ago, I was uh, writing a book uh, for publication with Brill. And um, with my co-author, who was affiliated with the Central European University, Laszlo Kontla. Um, and uh, we were lucky to find the funding to actually make this book available open access with you. And, and the figure there was 10,000 euros for a book that was more than 400 pages long. So, I mean, 10,000 euros and 400 pages, but still 10,000 is, is a huge sum, and it was for us as well, I have to say, but we, we managed to find the funds within our institutions. So this is something not called APC, but BPC, Book Publi uh, Processing Chart. But then I saw on the website that uh, general books would cost about uh, 150 euros um, for the hard copy and 150 euros for the ebook copy so quick uh, calculation again uh, if you sell for brill i mean if you sell 66 copies then you have 10000 euros in income um why was that lucrative for you to just 
to ask for only 10,000 euros. I mean, from a business perspective, perhaps you would want to have it behind a paywall so that more people than 66 uh, would, uh, would need to buy it to read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. Um, well, you know, I think with books, um, but um, uh, one, well, the, of course, with books, first of all, it's always quite difficult eh, to predict uh, how much it will sell. You, you never know. I mean, you can take an educated guess, but you never know. Um, also, um, uh, the way that we sell books is really, it's, it's actually quite complex as a public. I mean, you know, you would say, oh, it's quite easy. You know, we have, we have this book, a, a library picks it to and, and, and buys it. But actually the, the world of buying academic books is quite complex. There are libraries who buy, you know, individual books via uh, trade, uh, trade person, uh, um, yeah, traders uh, that we also work with, uh, booksellers in countries. Or they maybe they buy our um, uh, ebook collection, or they, you know, there are all these new models now out there. Um, also, I think there is for us, and this is also really why we also got started with with open access, is that the demand really came bottom up from authors. Uh, and of course, it's logical huh, that that authors want to uh, have their book available in, in open access, that they want to reach that wider readership. And also for us, I think you know, attracting that readership. And then attracting more people to Brill and to, you know, your um, uh, your publications. That's of course also a big uh, win. I think also the um, so the book was published in my program. Um, of course, there is a lot of pressure on on publishers also from governments and from funders to publish in open access and. We try to comply. Uh, we need to comply. Uh, we see that this is you know, what the world is moving to. So if we have an opportunity to publish in open access, we, we embrace it. It really is a Braille's policy to, to do as much as possible in open access, as long as we can do this in a sustainable uh, manner. I mean, we, we still uh, you know, uh, have our salaries, of course, that need to be paid. But, uh, but if that is possible, we, we really want to embrace it. And the benefit, of course, uh, for a publisher of publishing something in open access is that um, there is less risk um, because each publisher with each book always uh, has to ask themselves, well, is this a book that will sell? And, and you can never predict it. You can get a lot of experience, but in the end, you never know in advance. And if you do have an open access model, that risk, of course, is taken away. So you already know that at least you will, you know, you will do well. Um, and don't forget, uh, at Braille, we still publish both the ebook and the, the, the print version. And the print version is still commercially sold. And uh, while it is true that, of course, uh, more and more libraries want uh, ebooks, uh, at least in my field at Braille and um, history and also book history, uh, libraries still really like paper. And uh, so, in addition to the open access revenue, there will still be. Um, uh, traditional income from from simply the print book sales. Yeah, the times they are surely changing, and um, some figures again. Um, I read on the, the official Brill page that you publish about one thousand four hundred books per year on an average year, which is quite a lot, of course. Uh, and last year, a little bit more than one hundred fifty of these books were actually open access. So so. I guess the same kind of figure as with journals, uh, roughly 10% or a little bit more. Where do you hope 
the future will go in terms of books? Would you like to see Diamond open access books? Would that of, at all work? Or would you like to see this BPC model um, in the future? This is a question for you, Arjan. Ooh, that's, a, that's a difficult one. Um, the BPC model, again, will, of course, exclude certain authors. And uh, that is a big disadvantage. Um, so in that sense, I think the Diamond open access model is, is absolutely more inclusive and democratic. Um, that would be my preference. But it's also not easy um, because you need to find sponsors. And as Stephanie also said earlier, in the humanities, there's not that much money. And I think we were so successful with the Journal of Jesuit Studies because of its topic. So Jesuit universities really see it as their mission to make research available for free. And that ideological mission uh, is not everywhere available of course so finding um sponsors is 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 difficult for various reasons there needs to be money there needs to be uh, a belief that this is uh, a useful way for an institute to spend money um so i think it's not an, an uh, well it's easy to answer that my preference is diamond but the question is how realistic that would be how about you stephanie do you see diamond or perhaps any other mechanism that would work for for books yeah no i think um uh it's a very good question you know i think the beauty of books in a way is that it really does allow for all these approaches to sit next to each other right um because when i talk to research funders uh, or even actually institutions uh, universities what they usually say is yeah um okay the bpc model is not equitable but we want direct control that you know what we fund that that is open access you know and we don't quite understand how that works with diamonds so you know okay the bpc is not ideal but for the time being and i think also for us that is yeah in a way as a publisher on the one hand you you try to translate certain developments but also you follow certain developments so we um, follow this model because it's there and also of course because we don't want to uh, lose the authors eh? these are let's say the ERC the European Research Council uh, these are really prestigious projects um, we work together with quite a few um, and we are really very proud of that as well and so of course we want to accommodate that open access policy so then it naturally um, we publish the book in open access for BPC um, and yeah, also, as you say, in your case, uh, sometimes there is budget available. I think for authors, it's also a relatively easy way if there is budget. So that's the BPC story. At the same time, it's I think uh, it's, it's clear that there is also now a lot of movement in, in that space. Yeah? There's a lot of movement in the book space. There are also, again, that's what's nice about uh, open access books is that it's very diverse. The landscape, there are smaller publishers that are really born open access. There are university presses. Um, there are a lot of new models now. For instance, this model where you hey, you you maybe uh, flip your backlist and then use that to fund frontlist open access books. Uh, of course, that is something that we are also as real exploring. That we are interested in how can we, uh, you know, uh, uh, leverage this model. 
but then for our own situation, because again, I think it's about translating these models to, you know, our own practices um, uh, and see and our own scale as well. I think also with these models in particular, what you see is that they are adopted by smaller presses so far. Um, and of course, for us, the, the scale is a little bit different. So then we would have to really see, yeah, how does that work? Another thing that we do um, is um, uh, we also offer to convert uh, previously published material. Um, so sometimes, you know, authors, they have budgets uh, left over or uh, suddenly, you know, their book has been published already for a couple of years and then they think, hey, wait, I would really like for that piece of work to still be open access. So then we discount, of course, to BPCE because, of course, we already have uh, a part, uh, quite a part of that, that income. Uh, so we discount it um, uh, based on the number of years, basically, that it was published and then convert that book to open access. And I, I, I quite like that. Um, and I think maybe there is also something there where we can maybe work together with universities on a bigger scale, you know, to use that model, but then also to fund front list. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot going on and uh, I, I get very uh, uh, excited by it. I mean, as you say, it's 10% now for Braille. I'm sure that will grow. On the other hand, I think the beauty of books, again, is that they sit on their own. So, you know, with journals, it's of course, it's more complex because you have a whole journal that you ideally want to be open access. But for a book, you know, a book is ideally open access. But then if there's a book that's not open access, OK, maybe we can live with that. Right. Uh, so I think that's also uh, reassuring uh, in a way. Yeah, interesting to hear, you know, with with books, there are several stakeholders. We already mentioned some of them. I mean, the European Research Council projects that they fund, they Everything has to be open access there. But uh, I know in the humanities, there are some authors that actually live of their their uh, their writings, particularly in the English language, perhaps. So to you, Arjan, do, do you sometimes experience authors that would not want uh, open access at all for their book because they, they live of the revenue of sales? Is, is that Would that be a factor, you think? Uh, or would that be just very, very few exceptions? Not for Braille, to be honest, because um, I think the, those authors who can live uh, off of their writing, they, they publish more, uh, not as heavily academic books as we do. Our books are very scholarly. Uh, they have at least a third of the page is, is footnotes. So um, I love our books. I think we publish really interesting books, but they are not for a wide readership. Um, they really are, 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 yeah, academic books and, and are used by other academics, by other students, but it's not the, the kind of book you will see in your local bookshop. And um, so the authors who, who are fortunate enough to, to live over their research, they write a bit more popular uh, and they will, will choose for a press like, like Penguin or, or what have you. Um, so I think the authors we have are paid for by their academic salary, uh, they, they will not get rich on the Braille book. So I think the prime interest our authors have is that uh, their book is out. It will be read by as many people as possible. Uh, it should be cited by as many people as possible. And of course, having a wider um, uh, availability will stimulate uh, citations. Um, but they they do not publish with us because they think, oh, this is going to buy me a, a second house. 
uh, of course, when I when I have uh, the Brill table at a conference, um, we hear quite often that our books are expensive, and I understand that. But it is nice when I can then answer, well, actually, you can download this book for free on our website. So it makes my job a little bit easier as a publisher as well. How about you, Stephanie? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Arjan. I think, you know, open access for a publisher like Brill um, uh, is very, very exciting, um, really, because it does expand the readership. Um, also in, in countries, uh, you know, in, in unexpected areas. Um, so, you know, that it really opens up our scholarship to, to the wider world. Um, and I think that's really beneficial for, you know, for everyone, also for our authors and, uh, yeah, fosters collaboration uh, as well. Thank you very much, Stephanie and Arian, for coming to the podcast. Open Science Talk is produced by the University Library of UIT, the Arctic University of Norway. Thanks for listening.